0: You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Benjamin about 8 steps to make a smart decision. Have you already joined the Effective Statistician LinkedIn group? Awesome. Well done. You see a lot of more content coming there. So if you haven't, then head over to LinkedIn, search for the effective statistician group and join. You can also follow me on LinkedIn because I'm quite regularly on LinkedIn and post a lot of additional things there that help you to be more effective and more impactful at work. This podcast is produced in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rate is just £20 for non-high-income countries and £95 for high-income countries annually, of course. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. another episode of the effective statistician and this time it's again benjamin and myself hi benjamin how are you doing
1: hi alexander very well thank you
0: how are you yeah everything fine it's <laughs> the new normal <laughs> we are recording this uh, just a couple of days into our enhanced social distancing or something like this in germany
1: <laughs> yeah the coronavirus has come all over us
0: yeah. yeah yeah and and of course this will be get published a little bit later down the in the year but it feels quite interesting
1: <laughs> yeah it does it's...
0: okay but that's not the topic for today topic for today is about making good decisions and I think this is a really really interesting topic and and the way we will talk about it today is really about decision making in general, and what we can do about it uh, so it applies to whether you move your house or whether well you maybe not a house but but maybe <laughs> whether you move into a house, buy a house, buy a flat uh, whether you buy a car, whether you go for a new job, or you know all kind of different Ooh. things you can run through this framework, which is based on decision science and so so I think this will be a really, really nice episode today that is, uh, helps to get clarity in your mind when it comes to decision-making, because the usual way we do it is not that effective.
1: <laughs> well, it's something we are used to. It. I mean, it's quite straightforward. I mean, usually you start discussing, so debating, then, you know, you meet. People, you know, get decisions sometimes. Sometimes not. You move uh, move on with more meetings with other stakeholders, and then you start creating PowerPoints. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sending back and, and forth—it's uh, the usual way.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and you know, and more and more discussions, and and you have. Side discussions in the hallways, and you have email chains and all kind of different things. And then there's this approaching deadline where you need to make <laughs> a decision. Time pressure, or those?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then you, yeah, you need to come make a decision. And is that actually a good way to get to a decision? I'm I'm not sure I think there is a lot of waste there there's not a lot of effectiveness in there because you get conflicting feedback you don't get it in you know the right way you don't have a clear communication path and sometimes you don't even know what the problem is yep. <laughs> yeah, and and you go around in circles and circles yeah. and circles. <laughs> yes. So
1: I mean, you may have a goal in terms of saying, "Well, that's where we need to get to," but actually, what is actually the problem that we are trying to solving here? So yeah. it's yeah. it's um, doesn't doesn't sound very very efficient. But but actually, I mean, what what is then the what is then the best or the, the approach that you suggest, or maybe would you would you say it's rather like a, a completely different approach, or maybe just organizing some of the some of the pieces that we just discussed, I mean, for example, just, you know, when you debate, making sure that the problem is, you know, put on a on a spot, so really that, that we identified the problem, so what, what would be your suggestion then?
0: So, the suggestion is not originally coming from me. There's a really, really nice book called Smart Choices, a Practical Guide to Making Better Decisions. This book was already published quite a while ago and has been Becomes a framework in lots of different areas, including also the benefit-risk area. So, if you look into the EMA guidelines, into uh, various IMI projects, they refer to this ProAct URL approach, which we will talk about a little bit in a minute. What that means, and this framework helps you to make. They're good decisions. Of course, there it's applied to benefit risk decision, and we can talk a little bit about this. But it is a general approach that you can use for any decisions. And as you said, the first part in this, in this ProRact URL, the, the P and the R, actually stand for problem. And the first step is to get really crystal clear on the problem. What you're trying to solve, and to have an agreement on what the problem is that you're trying to solve.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that that actually is already the first biggest problem to find the problem, because the usually you just you know identify what's not working and and trying to to get around it in in a way so to you know you think you identified the problem by knowing what's not working well or you know what what, what the goal is basically. So, but actually, I think it's quite important to really take a step back. Try to look from outside or just from, from the g- general approach, bigger picture, let's say into the, the whole discussion into the problem. So not, not only see, or, you know, already think that you identified the problem and then move forward, but really, you know, take a step back, look in into this and try to objectively identify what the real problem is. And I think that's, that's already the first very, very difficult step because we all yeah. kind of. You know, we are mentally already into the problem. We think we already know what the problem is, and then we just move on.
0: And we also agree everybody understands what the problem is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think that's an interesting point. One of the often mistakes that I see is that you get proposed a solution, Yeah, so let's say you get a job offer or something like this. You see advertisement for you know a nice car or whatever, and then your problem that you think about is do I go for this job offer? Yes or no. But of course that's not really the problem. The underlying problem is do I wanna grow my income or do I wanna develop myself? Do I wanna have a good career? And then of course these are the more underlying problems
1: yeah also, also just the 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 negative side sometimes is you know when you look out for a job so maybe uh what's wrong with my current job
0: can i do about that so it's
1: like there maybe there's something that you don't feel good about and and think so the problem is really not accepting the other job or buying a new car so but what is the what is actually the the reason why i
0: yeah. think about it. Yeah. The same is in clinical research. Yeah, You may want to just look into whether you run the study, but maybe the bigger problem you're trying to solve is to optimize the portfolio. Yeah? And maybe you just focus on the right dose selection when you should look into, does it actually make sense to move forward at all with, with these doses? Not just do selection A, B, or C, but maybe do selection A, B, or C, or recommendation to cancel the further development with this product. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Or get back to the drawing board and uh, come up with an alternative formulation here. Or maybe come up with a new study where we uh, look into other dosings, yeah? So there's a going back to the drawing board and having a bigger picture helps you make sure that you understand the problem. And then there's a meeting comes into place where you can, you know, agree on the problem statement and make sure that everybody has the same viewpoint there.
1: And only after realizing what the problem is, you go into... The next step, which we usually say is problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. The objective. Yeah.
1: So it's about the question, so what do we want yeah. to achieve? Yeah. So that is where we usually start. So we don't, you know, it's, or not. I wouldn't say usually, but it's quite often that we start with, uh, you know, just looking into what do we yeah. want to achieve? And not what is the problem? What would you yeah, like to avoid?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there it comes. Really, when we come onto the the job offer, uh, of course, it comes like uh, things like the financial side of things, uh, career development, maybe the commuting time. Home office policies. What you know, all these kind of different features that you can look into that describes that, that problem. If you think about uh, therapies, then it's about you know what are all the benefits, what are all the risks, what are all kind of non medical things in it, like access to the therapy or the cost of the therapy. These kind of things then then play a role in the uh, in benefit risks or therapy decision-making. One important thing to think about, especially from a benefit-risk point of view, is that we should avoid double counting here. So variables that are highly correlated to each other, pick the most important one and, and just look into this rather than having ten highly correlated variables with each other and then you you get the perception, wow, is this is really, really important. But in essence you're counting the same thing just ten times.
1: Yeah, I think that's quite clear. I mean everyone had the experience of, you know, when you go out and have too many objectives, too many settings, that's not gonna work. So if you you have to focus yeah. That's bringing you down to the to one. I mean, you you may have several objectives or you may have several problems, but then you have to divide it. So you can't just take them into one discussion. You can take them all. So you may put two together, or you may you know add something to one of the problems or objectives. But in in reality, I mean, that's what everyone accepts. If you have too many of them, that's yeah. not going to work. That's that will confuse bring, too many people, too many sh- shareholders in, bring too many things in that, that is just confusing and uh, will not be efficient at, at all.
0: In benefit-risk, what is very often shown is some kind of value tree. So you have then some overarching categories, let's say like treatment severity, quality of life, safety, convenience, price, and uh, these come all together. Yeah? And then you can have within these overall categories Categories You can have subcategories like different symptoms for the efficacy side or different parts of quality of life and functioning um, or different levels of, of access and convenience. So that is an, a nice way to get all your objectives a little bit more organized. In terms of when we look into our benefit-risk of our own drugs, one important thing to look into is also how it compares to the competitive landscape. So it's not just about the side effects of your drug or the key benefits of your drugs. It's also about those of the other drugs out there. So maybe with your new method of action, you have a specific side effect that you're concerned about, but then you maybe don't have side effects that other methods of actions have. Yeah, so these mm-hmm. also need to be objectives in a way that maybe you induce that side effect, but you avoid another one. Yeah, so having this in mind as well is really important.
1: Yeah, I think this is, this is coming through all the steps is basically these, um, you know, taking a step back or looking into the bigger picture that we had already in, in identifying yeah. the problem. You, wherever you are in the past, you know, you can't just, you know, go there with, uh, you know, very short view. So you really have to look around and see alternatives, see, look outside the, the, the own problem, the, the own company, the own area. It's, it's, there might be more. Maybe not. I mean, it depends on what the problem is, but, but. You know, don't forget to look outside. Yeah, by the way,
0: as we say about step one, step two, step three, of course there could be some iterations in there, yeah, and some loopbacks uh, that that (laughs) as you look into the different objectives, you maybe get better in defining the problem overall. And especially in terms of the next uh, step, the alternatives, so after P and R for Uh, problem and O for objectives we get to A for alternatives and these are basically the different choices you have yeah so it could be staying with your current job trying to get a new job within your company switching to another job or you know maybe becoming a freelancer so there's there's different options here and um, in regulatory review it could be that you have approval Rejection, approval with conditions, these kind of things. Yeah. More
1: than just one choice that you can take after that. So there are alternatives and that is, that is something that you need to consider. You need to just keep in mind also when moving forward. So what is the, uh, you know, what are the the potential or the actual um, alternatives and don't focus on one because you know you may not even know what the alternatives are so just consider this as an extra step to think about what the realistic alternatives could the
0: trap where w- what we discussed earlier is that you get presented one alternative and then you structure your problem around this alternative rather than to Understand it completely and more holistically. The next step is then quite easy, mm. so to say.
1: <laughs> the C stands for consequences. So basically, this brings in that, you know, once the decision of the moving forward is then, you know, to work with the consequences.
0: Of- if you think of a matrix with all the alternatives being the columns and the objectives being the rows, you can fill in these cells with see consequences. Yeah. So if you take this treatment, then you get this amount of benefit and this number of side effects. And you have this cost and it comes with this frequency of administration or whatever. Yeah. So these are also different things. And in a job it could be kind of okay with going with this new job offer, you have 30 minutes of commute, you get that salary, and so on and so on. Yeah, that's what, what
1: we usually call uh, the pro and cons for each of the you know alternatives, so what we say, so that you just kind of make a matrix of uh, comparing to have it visualized as well. I mean, sometimes you don't need a matrix in a way of writing it down, but actually it does help if you just visualize it for yourself or for, for the audience or whatever you present is to really go through and see that's the alternatives, and this is you know, the the objectives, and this is what it means, yeah. the consequences for it. So, so it's really a v- very nice, also visual visualization for moving forward and and work together.
0: In benefit risk, this is called the effects table, and it really helps you to understand all the data that is really important for for making a decision. The next step is now it gets more tricky because sometimes you have of course you look into this effects table and you see okay treatment a is better in all aspects compared to treatment b it's more efficacious and it's safer and then off you go you have you have an alternative that dominates everything else then Mm. that's easy you move forward with that or you have maybe yeah. alternatives that are dominated by, by something else. So you say, uh, you know, whatever you do, you'll always be worse off with, with this alternative. Then you can you know, already eliminate these kind of things. Yeah.
1: Well, like or for going back to the job example, You know, if, you, if you're really keen on getting the money in, then that's an easy trick. I mean, you just uh, decide on, on the money rather than on the content. So that is something really, sometimes yeah. it's quite clear have a very, very strong purpose of, you know, what, what the reason for the whole discussion is. I mean, that's going back to the problem. So if you start the discussion of the job is that you don't have enough money, then it might dominate it more than when you think you're getting bored and you don't have enough, uh, you know, you don't have the most, enough opportunities to develop further. So that is something completely different to so what the problem really is. And um, so therefore the trade-offs are quite dominated from from all the background that you brought in in the very first step in identifying the problem.
0: Then you may re- realize already that certain objectives that you had in the beginning are maybe not that relevant yeah you, you had them at the beginning but maybe all the the consequences for all these are very very similar and doesn't really add so much to the to the decisions. that could be the case but where it really gets interesting of course is if you have these problems that some things point into one direction, some things point into the other direction, yeah you know, so you have treatment that is very effective but also less safe compared to another treatment. What do you do about it? there you can you know you need to make a trade off or you have a a job where you know you need to commute twice as long as with your original job, but you get 10K more in terms of money. Is it worth it? For our decision, it may make sense to give all these different outcomes some monetary value or some other value, some some units that you can measure against all these different things. Sometimes one of the alternatives is that unit. So you can say, okay, to get that additional benefit, how much would I trade something else? So, for example, how much... Increase in safety or in the side effect, I would tolerate to get that added benefit.
1: That's good. I mean, if it works, because sometimes, especially for for the benefits um, or the safety, it's it's quite difficult to have. But what I what I first thought when I read about the trade offs is, I think this is this is a point really where the discussion, um, you know, are usually starting very, loud. so for example, when you have these spread between um, efficacy and and safety, you definitely need to bring in people to you know to better understand or to better explain or just to monitorize the, the whole discussion because this might get out of hand this is then really the, the complex and the tricky part where to you know where you know where we can find a uh, where we need to find a solution but pr- probably not alone depending on the topic i mean if it's a, something very personal then obviously it's probably for yourself but if it's about business then you need to bring in some people that can assist in, in identifying so what re- what does it really mean? To have a to have less safety or you know, less safe drugs is it just that you have more side effects or do you have more serious side effects or what actually is it what, what you're expecting so kind of to to make the the team or the, the des- decision makers uh, understood what it really means
0: yeah and there is a whole big research area in this that is all about this preference research mm. so if you I've attended one of the last PSI conferences and there was usually something about patient preference studies. And this is where that gets in. And there's lots of different ways you can assess these preferences. There's swing weighting. there's this whole way of discrete choice elements. And I don't want to go too much into detail. Just go back a couple of episodes where we talked about uh, patient preferences with experts in, in that area. So there's episodes with Geroul, as episodes with Mar- Marco, Marco Borelli, and some other episodes about um, benefit-risk. And we, in these areas, we talk a lot about patient preferences. This is the step where that comes in. The next step is really, really important for us as statisticians. And that is the U for uncertainty. <laughs> of course there's, you know, if you go to the job example, yeah, you have a, a couple of things that are certain. You have, okay, your current salary, you have your future salary that is in the contract that you have in there. But what about the career prospects? What about whether you will increase your salary in the future? There's, of course, much more uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is your commuting time is probably also rather certain. Or, but maybe there's other things in there that, you know, whether you can work with your new colleagues or your new supervisor. Well, you have pretty much of a certainty in terms of your current supervisor, but what happens if you switch? Yeah, There you have much more uncertainty. And uncertainty should lead to a lower weight of that outcome in the overall decision-making. Hmm. Yeah? Because if, if you're uncertain about it, you basically don't know. And yeah. you should make decisions on what you don't know <laughs> or what you get. Can, yeah.
1: To be honest, I think this is quite um, natural to everyone. So if you don't know, you don't know. So basically you don't decide. It is sometimes, it, it this is more like a, for me, that sounds more like a reminder to, to remember that there are some of the, the elements that, that we discussed or that, that you consider as an, um, as an objective that are not certain, even though they sound like it. So for example, you know, you may know what the, if you have an interview and ask questions, they will sell it. Definitely. So many, many uh, ways of moving forward and the company to develop and to train and to get things and everything. So, yes, you do probably, but you know, at the end, you don't know yet because you haven't received it. You haven't seen it. And um, I think that is, that is the point where also with the colleagues, you may know one of them or two and they really, they're, they're fond of it. They, they, they like their job. And so they, you're happy that you join the team, but actually you may not even see them. At all, because they're just working on different component or whatsoever. So it's it's something. There are so many uncertainties that you should always kind of find these to to take time for this step to really think. Do I know this? Is this certain? Is this guaranteed, like a salary or? Is this really like on uncertain? So do you, and that is not only about a job. This is basically about every decision that we try to do is that we sometimes move along with things that you think you know, but you don't. So take yeah. your time and reconsider the, the thinking about the different objectives in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, certainty, because only then if you have, uh, if you weight them correctly. So and as Alexander said, the lower weights, weight them lower if if the the uncertainty is higher, then uh, you can make a good decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in terms of you know benefit risk, that could be that you're pretty certain in terms of your benefit profile because you have sufficient number of patients to clearly assess that, but you're rather uncertain in terms of certain side effects. Yeah, and of course there is. There's a risk in this, you know, j- just looking into this effects table with just the point estimates in there and not seeing how wide the confidence intervals are. And it could, of course, be that the, that the data that you have for, the, for certain aspects, it has a much bigger and broader evidence base than, than for other uh, aspects. So you need to take that into account what sometimes is done to model this uncertainty is to do some scenario planning yeah so you run a base case a successful case and a you know worst outcome uh, situation to get a sense of okay if we move forward with these different alternatives where might we end up yeah So if you put for one alternative all the worst case scenario and for another one's best case scenario, does that, and on switch it around, does that help you to get a better sense of what might happen? And is there something that where you get a red flag? Okay, if this happens, then that's really, really bad. Yeah. And what's the probability of that happening? That's... So that's really important to have a
1: look into. Yeah, I think the scenario planning is a very, very good approach. We have just to remember that this needs to be done still objective, and we can kind of, you know, s- turn our screws a little bit. Like we want to see the the results. So when we are not stupid, usually you understand when you <laughs> when you put a more like a higher weight on this one and extra high weight on that one, that might be just you know looking very, very good. So that's that's something we need to be very careful about. So you no, know, try to you know, focus on the objective weights rather than, you know, putting the different scenarios in a, in a one, you know, to to identify one that you favor and then kind of make it happen. So that's something, yeah.
0: All these kind of things will help you to structure your decision and to make your argumentation more explicit uh, so that you don't have these underlying feelings and gut feelings and, and things like that, but rather that you can verbalize and communicate these different topics.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Mm.
0: And that you can separate it from each other. Because one of the problems that you very often get in these discussions is that people jump forward and backwards and uh, you know you don't have a structured approach and you're not talking about the same thing. Yeah, you know? And so structuring it in this way helps you to... Focus at one point at a time and get that solved before you move on to the next one, yeah.
1: Yeah. Before we move, just, I think that's a very, very good point. What you mentioned about the basically a documentation or like the, how, we, how to present this at the end. We didn't mention it before, but some of the steps are really, really quite important to, to be nicely put into a slide as well. In case you, you are asked to, to show or to say what, what's the decision that you took? Uh, why is it the decision that you at the end took? So I think putting this into a nice structure and planning the scenarios, doing the matrix. And, and so that will definitely help to not only make the right decision, but also to justify and to sell your decision um, to the audience, to the people that are even, you know, sometimes need to sign in for the for the decision.
0: Yeah. But when you present a recommendation, you can show how you came to that recommendation. And this is also one of the areas why regulators are so interested in, in this approach because that helps them to, sell their decisions and to be transparent with how they get to a decision and that is something that is important for them it's also important for you because you may be challenged later on oh did you make the right decision that study was was a failure but then you can document okay we went through this process we uh, looked into all these different alternatives we had that knowledge at the time, and that's what we based our decision on. Yeah. So you can also defend yourself um, internally. And if you have changes in your study team, you can also make sure that people get on board much quicker because you have all this written down, and you can run people through and say, that's what we already decided, this is what we already decided, and you don't come back to the same decision a couple of years ago again or a couple of months ago again just because you have a new physician on the team or a new statistician on the team or a new one from regulatory science on the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's really great for for that purpose as well. The next step, step number seven with the R, It stands for risk tolerance. And risk tolerance is a really interesting uh, topic in itself. It comes a little bit also with how we approach changes overall and whether we are going for something new and riskier because there is a huge gain to be reached Or whether we are more the conservative persons that play it safe and and where, you know, any risk is really, really important. And we see that even in the medical community. There are certain areas where people are just used to taking risks. Yeah, Because they know they have life-threatening diseases and therefore they are willing to take quite high risks. And then there's other areas where the overall disease landscape is not that life-threatening. Yeah, And then people have a much higher sensitivity for risks. And I'm just thinking about dermatologists, for example. Many, many dermatologists are just used to prescribing topical treatment and they are afraid to prescribe anything that is systemic like injectables or pills or something like this because they associate that with all kind of different side effects you can have and then just not used to manage these side effects like other physicians are. If you think about oncology on the other end of the spectrum the side effects they deal with are really, really serious, but they are willing to take the risk because they know the life of the patient is on the line, and they are used to uh, taking these risks.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's very difficult because some you can't really fit them for in this in this step. Because often you know you have a wide range of patient. Let's say so yeah. some of them are more you would take the risk. Others say, well, no, <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. So and then but you have to serve them all, and and that is that is something that's a very tricky point. So that you have to balance the risk and and the tolerance, then really out for everyone, and um, it's. Difficult.
0: But sometimes it's really surprising. There's an interesting obesity example where the FDA interviewed patients about different therapies for obesity, and there were therapies that were very, very invasive and came with a pretty high safety burden. Yet the patients preferred these because they saw the big, big gain in terms of the uh, efficacy side. Mm. So the regulators initially were really concerned about all the safety uh, things, but the patients, I'm even willing to put my life on the line here because life as it's now is so, so terrible. Yeah, And and we are not talking about here patients with a BMI of 30 as Yeah. So, these were quite, quite obese patients, yeah. And they have tried everything and they were willing to assume quite a high risk for the safety side to get the get a benefit. It's the same with stakeholders internally, yeah. So you may have stakeholders that make the decision whether that's a you know a committee or whether that's an internal individual person who is very risk tolerant. Or someone that is really looking for innovation and trying to push the envelope there. So understanding that risk profile is is really important. It can move you into different directions depending on what your risk profile is. But that's a quite difficult concept.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is something still we need to consider. And, and also the last one. The last one is quite... Um, Difficult, and I think it's also one that that usually isn't very much take, uh, considered at all. The last last one is with an L, so it's linked decisions. So, basically, to answer the question, how will future decisions affected by by the decision that you are making? Yeah. So what? does it have? That is difficult in many ways It's, oh, especially in a way that, that you don't even know what other decisions are out there. Yeah. So this is about being informed being informed and putting in the right or getting the right people together or maybe just to, to check in with some people so where, where you see could be having a potential impact and also this may potentially add quite a bit of a complexity because if you make your decision dependent on other decisions or future decisions that is something that that is just about complexity Of really doing taking a decision for yourself.
0: Here it's kind of surfaces what are all the other things we need to take into account in the future. So, for example, if we move forward with this big study, that will limit lots of lots of other. Decisions in the future because
1: resources
0: that we have spent the, <laughs> spent, the budget and spent the resources. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. But because very often we see our decisions in isolations. Yeah, do we invest our time in this project, for example? Yeah, do we want to write this paper? Do we want to give this presentation at a conference? These kind of things. But then we just think, oh, yes, yeah, that would be nice to do. But if we say yes to this, we need to say no to future opportunities. Yeah? <laughs> and what is the you know likelihood that we may get another great offer down the line that we then need to decline because we have went for this paper or this presentation? That's... Always something to have in mind because that also puts things in perspective.
1: Yeah, no, but I think this is what everyone um, has come across already that that you made a decision and then realizing later on, well, (laughs) yes, it it, did have an impact on the future uh, in a way. So in my future, or my future decisions.
0: So that's now we went through eight different steps to give you more efficiency, (laughs) clarity, consistency and speed in your decision-making, and these will help you to get alignment within your organization, within your study team, and will help you also to clearly communicate what you are doing, whether that is within your study team or whether that is to stakeholders. It helps you for your personal life as well as for your professional life. And these eight steps were first, understanding clearly the problem. Second, having all the objectives, the outcomes that you want to get to uh, clear. Then what are the different choices, the alternatives you have? And then you can fill in the matrix of the alternatives with the objectives with all the consequences. Then you can look into the trade-offs and eliminate the different alternatives that you have. You can look into the uncertainty to see whether there's you know, certain things that should be of lower weight because they are, have a high uncertainty. You can use scenario planning to, to move forward there. The next step is then to look into your or the stakeholders' risk tolerance for that. So we talked a little bit about the, the patient or whether you have certain governance bodies that are very risked Averse or really innovative driven, and then the last part was about linked decisions.
1: Very well, that helps us for some decision. And one decision is we make is that we now come to an end <laughs> of our talk today <laughs> without a metrics. Um, <clears throat> just time off. Excellent. Um, thanks. It's very very interesting and and very good. I think this this does help every one of us to really get to do the right decision and to do them um, efficiently. I think this is something that we sometimes lack uh, in many many ways, and that really should help us to do an efficient decision and the right decision at one point.
0: Yeah, and if you want to learn more about it, I can highly recommend the book Smart Choices, and you can find that in the show notes. So stay tuned. Have a nice day. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye this show was created in association with psi thanks to rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening please visit the effective to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector one last thing Please tell your colleagues about this podcast if you like it, so that more people can benefit from it and that you have someone else to talk about the content and to implement different ideas that we present here in the podcast. So, like always, reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.